The reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and is on page 1089 and page 1737 in the larger print Bible. The Empty Tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, Les. Thank you, Caroline. Let's, let's pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for this day and all that it speaks of joy and victory and of new life. 
Uh, by your grace, will you help us to enter in more fully that we might live to the glory of Christ's name. Amen. As a society, we've really lost our way over a number of things, and I suppose at this time of year, two things have stood out to me as where we have lost our way and lost a way of speaking about them. Uh, one is about death itself, and the other is more specifically about Easter. Uh, I saw this past week uh, the announcement of a sermon to be delivered at a certain church, which went like this, the Easter bunny did not rise from the dead, um, which I took to mean a sermon which was addressing some of these um, mixed-up messages and mixed-up thinking around Easter uh, today. There's been also another move afoot that chocolate eggs in this country should not have the label on them that they are Easter eggs. Um, so there are all kinds of ways in which as a society we're confused and losing our, our grip on things which have been very central and very important. Death as well is a subject which we no longer know how to speak about well or coherently. Um, I've, in my, the various funerals I've been associated with or listened in on in various places, um, you hear some extraordinary versions of, of faith and hope. Um, those of us who were um, around at the time of the death of Princess Diana will remember the vast outpouring of grief and the many uh, expressions um, that that took and a, a song which was originally written as a kind of spoof and as in sarcasm uh, about dying um, actually became the, the language that people used and people spoke about another angel in heaven, another star in the sky. You, you may remember that. And if you Google uh, funeral prayers, um, the uh, undertakers, the funeral directors of our country come up with a, a fairly standard selection of prayers and poetry. Um, here are a couple. Um, if I should go tomorrow, it would never be goodbye, for I have left my heart with you, so don't you ever cry. The love that's deep within me shall reach you from the stars. You'll feel it from the heavens, and it will heal the scars. Well, this one, which was actually written by a soldier going to Northern Ireland and has caught on, and uh, you, you may well have heard it. I, I've heard it at funerals as well. Uh, Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am not here. I did not die. And in various ways, I, I think these, and there, there are many more in that vein, and what they have in common, I think, is that they are uh, somehow catching the afterglow of, of Christian faith in, in some kind of way, but without any real substance and without any real hope. They don't actually know what to do with death other than to somehow deny it. 
uh, you will know the uh, prayer that actually comes from Henry Scott Holland, who was a canon of St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, he used it as a prayer not to be prayed. He used it as an, a prayer that was not suitable for Christian use, and it has become used very, very widely, a very, very ironic, but included this phrase, death is nothing at all. I have only slipped away into the next room. And I expect all of you have heard that at one funeral or another. We don't know how to speak about these things well in our society. I had one very formative experience about death, resurrection, and Easter a good number of years ago. Um, it had a, a really great impact on me. As, uh, I was at the time living in Nairobi, uh, 1977, February to be precise. And uh, I was attending a, uh, a Christian conference there of African Christian leaders that I'd managed to gate crash and find myself an invitation to. And at that conference was the Archbishop of Uganda, a man called Janani Lawum. And it's the only time I met him, and it's the only time I had conversation with him, um, just very briefly. Uh, but it was significant for uh, a number of reasons. There was also another extraordinary thing that happened. Uh, I, I went to the loo at one time and uh, heard two men talking very loudly come in behind me and stand on either side of me like this and continue the conversation over my head. <laughs> one was Billy Graham and the other was John Stott. <laughs> And I was just wondering, you know, do I introduce myself? Um, do I contribute to the discussion? Um, and they departed never knowing that uh, I was there. So anyway, that was not so significant. However, I met Janani Lawum at that conference. He went back to Uganda, and two weeks later, he, he was dead. He went back and spoke publicly about the the murders and the brutality and the killings that were going on in Uganda uh, under President Idi Amin. Um, it was courageous. He knew the risk he was taking. He was arrested, uh, accused of uh, being a traitor. And the next anyone heard about it was that he was dead. The government said he'd been killed in a car accident with two government ministers who'd also been arrested, that they had tried to seize control of the car, the car had overturned and everyone had been killed. Uh, it became known that their bodies were riddled with, with bullets. Uh, Janani Lawum died. It was actually Holy Week of that year. And the funeral was scheduled to take place on the following Sunday, which was actually Easter Day, like today. The government realized that murdering an archbishop was a, a very risky thing to do. And so they declined to release the body for the burial, and they took it to northern Uganda and buried it at a secret location in northern Uganda. It was a, later moved to his home village. So Christians gathered at Namarembi Cathedral in Kampala on Easter Day, 1977, to celebrate the resurrection, to celebrate Easter Day, and to have the funeral of their archbishop who'd been murdered that week. There was a big hole right outside the west end of the cathedral. There's a, a fascinating little uh, graveyard there of um, 
um, missionary heroes and heroes of the Ugandan church, and Lawum was to be buried there. There was a big open grave. The service, of course, was uh, hopelessly depressed and lifeless. No one knew what to say or do. Church service was held. There was no body to bury. The last thing it seemed like was Easter Day. And they, everyone streamed out of church at the end. I wasn't present, but I've heard the story. And everyone gathered outside the west end of the church, uh, around the graveyard there, and in the middle was this empty, empty grave. And suddenly, uh, Erica Sabiti, who had been the previous archbishop, a very elderly man by that stage, just realized what he was looking at and he stood on the steps of the cathedral and just said very, very loudly and clearly, he is not here. He is risen. And immediately the congregation it connected everything together for them and they began to sing the great revival hymn to Katendereza Yesu, a hymn of praise to, to Jesus. What that simple phrase of Erica Sabiti, he is not here, he is risen, to my mind it did three things which are really, really important and have stayed with me down the years. First of all, it was a proclamation that in this desperate, dire, murderous situation in which Uganda was caught at that time, Christ is risen. And that he is the victor over death and evil his victory on the cross is demonstrated, vindicated by his, his resurrection. And whilst we may be gathered here today to bury our archbishop and we're even deprived of that privilege, Christ is risen. The second truth which that simple statement laid out for everyone was that Lewum himself was safe in the hands of God and had entered into risen life, resurrection life. In the end, it didn't matter that there was an empty grave here, and what a symbol that was, that the grave was empty on Easter, Easter Day. It spoke of the victory of Christ and also spoke of the safety and security of Janani Lawum. So Erica Sabita's cry, he is not here, he is risen, spoke about the victory of Christ and spoke about the security and safety of Janani Lawum, their archbishop, and in front of them was an empty tomb. The third thing was this. It was a proclamation to Idi Amin that there are greater things in this world than power, greed, violence, murder, and oppression. He is not here. He is risen. Christ is greater than all those things and his people can be murdered, they can be slaughtered, they can be deprived of a, a dignified funeral, but their, their witness and the truth of their witness survives and goes on. Janani Lewum, of course, became one of the uh, considerable number of martyrs of the, of the Ugandan church. But those three things, I think, are really important things and... I would want to leave them with you today. We live in a world of uh, violence. We live in a world of great turmoil. We live in a world where the forces of uh, 
prejudice and greed and, and violence are, seem to be overwhelming, whereas Les reminded us uh, uh, a man, probably a Muslim man, simply offering his uh, Christian customers an Easter greeting pays for it with his life. We live in such a world. But in that world, these three things can be proclaimed, that Christ is risen, he is not in the grave, the grave is empty, he is risen, and his risen life triumphs, and the victory of the cross is vindicated, is established. Secondly, we are safe in his hands because we rise with him, we have died with him, and we have risen to new life with him, and we participate with him in his new life. And thirdly, that victory of uh, Christ and of his people is greater and overrides the powers and evils that we see around us. So what do we say on this morning about uh, this day? I think the uh, Janani Lawum story just indicates that it is about much more than our personal lives, our personal faith, and our personal journeys. It addresses the world in which we live. He is not here, he is risen. I'm just going to mention a few things because we also want to take communion together this morning. I think the story we have celebrated this week, cross and resurrection, because they belong together, they, they cannot be separated, they are part of one story, and the meaning of one depends on the other. Together, it takes death seriously in a society which does not know what to do with death. The death of Jesus was a real annihilating death. It was not some charade. And in our world, we need to recognize the reality, the depth, the, the true experience of death. We need to recognize it is not simply uh, an adjustment like moving into the next room. It's part of the human journey, and it was entered into by God on the cross. And, but the risen Lord bears the marks of crucifixion. All the, uh, the resurrection stories bear witness to that, that the one who is risen is not some new spiritual encounter of some kind for the disciples. It is a real encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on the cross and whom God has raised from the dead uh, as, as testimony to the truth of his life and of his death. The risen Lord bears the sign of resurrection. So we, as his disciples, can face the reality of death and the true cost and the true emptying that's involved in, in our dying and, and in the dying of those we, we know and love. But we know that because of the resurrection of Christ, we pass into a risen life with him and we are secure in his hands forever. The resurrection proclaims the victory of Christ and his cross over death and sin and suffering and all that maims and limits human life. Secondly, the empty tomb proclaims that we can believe in a physical resurrection. Death is not the end. Our human being, the, our human substance as, as people, as personalities, as well as physical beings is caught up. In, in God's destiny of resurrection. The resurrection is not uh, some series of visions. It's not some series of spiritual encounters. It's not mass hallucination. It is, in fact, an encounter with 
Jesus of Nazareth, risen and transformed through the power of God. There is no body to be found. The tomb is empty. There is no body to be found. That body has been taken up in resurrection life in Jesus, the risen Lord. Thirdly, resurrection proclaims to us that God's new creation has started already and is already with us now. We're not talking about uh, human life as somehow ending with some kind of spiritual survival in, in a spiritual heaven somewhere else. We are talking about participating in God's new creation, in his remaking of the whole created order. Uh, most British people today uh, either believe that uh, human life just is a, is a physical reality that comes to an end. We have this brief window of awareness which is snuffed out and that's all there is to be said about it. Or alternatively, that we hopefully, without any great assurance, will have some kind of spiritual survival and we will somehow uh, be in heaven um, where we can perhaps send messages to those we love. It's not like that. The Christian hope is bound up with the physical resurrection of Jesus, but it's also bound up with his transformation into a, a new level, a new transcendent kind of living. The resurrection of Jesus speaks of hope now, of the beginning of eternal life now, of beginning to enter into the life of heaven now, the beginning of new creation within us and amongst us now. That's the point of Jesus' exchange in the story of the raising of Lazarus, his encounter with Martha and Mary, where he say, they say, we, we do believe in the resurrection. We believe at the end of time. We believe that uh, the dead will rise at the end of time. We believe that. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to know that the resurrection life, eternal life, the life that God gives to his creation is available now, and it's available for you to enter into now. We are just the first fruits of new creation that will catch up and be fulfilled in the whole creation. The image, as I spoke a week or so ago, and we read a week ago, is the, the culmination is described in the Bible as like the new Jerusalem coming down from God, and God's presence will be with humankind. He will be with us. The, the human destiny is not about going to heaven, but about God's presence and heaven coming to coming into his creation and remaking it, and we are destined to be part of that. I planned also to speak about Mary Magdalene this morning, but uh, I think maybe this is enough for the moment, but let me just touch on that, that story of Mary Magdalene, because I think it, it's a cameo. It brings together so many of these, these themes. Um, she... The... the She is at first lost. She is at first sunk in grief and despair, and she, doesn't know, she cannot yet get hold of the fact that Christ is risen from the dead. She realizes the tomb is empty, but she assumes that that's because the body has been stolen in some way. And like so many of the stories, it actually takes uh, a, a step of recognition, a step of faith, a step of connection before she can realize that she is in the presence of Jesus. So she, through her tears, she sees someone is with her and she assumes it is the gardener. No, no, Mary, no, no, this is not the gardener. This is Christ, risen from the dead. And it is the personal encounter 
It is the use, his use of her name that, that makes this connection uh, true, real, and unshakable for her. Mary. Uh, Caroline caught the, the, the tone of that voice wonderfully in her reading. I, I expect you noticed that. But secondly, in a sense, this is the gardener. Because what is unfolding that first Easter morning and continues to unfold is God's new creation into the world, his remaking of his, of his creation, of which he is the gardener. He is the gardener of the new creation. And so there is a, a wonderful sense in which Mary is both wrong and right as she recognizes uh, Jesus as present with her. Much more to be said about that story. I think, just in conclusion, I think on my heart this morning is the conviction that the resurrection is, addresses our fundamental understanding of what it is to be alive, to be human beings, what our destiny is as human beings, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and that we need to find our ways. I hope perhaps this morning I've given you some phrases, some ways, some, some ideas that will help you uh, speak about the resurrection in, in daily life, uh, not as some uh, totally incomprehensible um, uh, piece of teaching that Christians hang on to, but as something that actually changes our worldview, changes our sense of what it is to be alive, to be human, and what our destiny is, and what the destiny of our world is. And to live with hope, and to live in the power of the Spirit and in the power of Christ, to live resurrected lives in a troubled and suffering world.